Our first passage comes from chapter 1. They're listed up there on the screen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles or on your electronic device, or if you'd like to listen, the Word of God. Chapter 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Sear Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. Chapter 5, which is also the Ten Commandments. Listen. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them. Be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your manservant, or maidservant, nor your ox, or your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. In chapter 30, beginning in verse 11.
Now, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his covenants, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this his holy word. Amen. Let's remember where we are. God created the world. And he created male and female. And after he did it all, he called it and saw that it was wonderful. He also created male and female with the freedom to choose God's way or their own way. And when Adam and Eve chose to do what they saw as best in their own eyes, evil entered the world. And we fell from the place from which God created us. But God did not throw out the world and he didn't start over. He began a rescue plan. And it began with a promise to one man, Abraham. From Abraham, God would bring a great people who would bring blessing to many nations and other people. And God gave birth to this people through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This people ended up in Egypt and in slavery. That threatened God's promise. But God brought them out of that place by using his servant Moses. And the Lord made them his treasured possession and his own people. And he gave them commandments and laws and a system of worship by which they could be in relationship with him. And to separate them from all the other nations around them. The Lord led his people into the wilderness, providing for their needs, promising to lead them into the land that would be fruitful and that would be satisfying. But Israel found the wilderness to be a less than desirable place. There is a pattern in the wilderness. Israel complains and God provides. Israel complains and God provides. And over and over and over again, this happens in Exodus Chapters 15 through 17, just those few chapters, the word complaining uh, appears nine times. And the word quarrel appears three times. And the word disobedient appears two times to give you a sense of how it went. 
It was the people's grumbling that led the Lord to swear that those people in that generation would not see the promised land that he was giving to the people. You see, the wilderness exposed Israel's immaturity and their weak faith and their lack of trust. They murmured in their tents instead of trusting the Lord's love and strength. They went so far as to complain that the Lord actually hated them. And that the only reason he brought them out of Egypt was just to toy with them and to destroy them. And and Moses tells Israel this. He says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. The desert has a way of exposing us. Adversity. Trials. Loss. When times are lean in our lives. uh, We find the people that we really are. Our hearts are exposed. And we often find out we are not as strong as we thought we are. Or nor we were the people that we really thought we were. It's interesting to note that when Jesus. Went through his wilderness experience. And he had a wilderness time. When Satan came to him in that time of temptation and quotes to Jesus scripture, Jesus quotes scripture back. And every quote he used was from Deuteronomy. And now Moses and Israel have gone through the wilderness and they stand on the edge of the promised land, the land that the Lord promised to Abraham. Deuteronomy is Moses' sermon to Israel as they prepare to enter this new epoch of their journey of faith. It is also the final book of what is called the Torah or the teaching. It is also Moses' farewell address to Israel because he is going to die before anybody sees the land. The book begins this way. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert. Sermons are words. The Hebrew Jewish Bible titles this book, what we call Deuteronomy, they title it, These Are the Words. Because in the Jewish Bible, every book is named with the first line of the book. Deuteronomy begins, These Are the Words that Moses spoke. Uh, The word Deuteronomy, by which we know the book, means second law. And As you read through the Torah, you probably notice the Ten Commandments and other laws that you read in Exodus and Leviticus appear again in Deuteronomy a second time. Moses' uh, words are in Deuteronomy. The whole book is Moses' words, and the book is a sermon. Sermons are to be heard. Deuteronomy is words that are to be heard for the people to understand their relationship to the Lord their God and what it's all about. And isn't it interesting That the man, Moses, who protested back at that burning bush that he was slow of speech and shouldn't be speaking on behalf of God, by the end of Deuteronomy, is speaking poetically. Moses begins his sermon by going over Israel's past, where they have been, what's happened in those 40 years of wilderness wandering, and it's not a flattering story. Moses preaches on their failings, He confronts them with their arrogance, their fear, their stubbornness. Moses tells the story, basically, of just how they got to where they are now. How did you get to where you are now? What's been your journey? 
the blessings, the losses, the pain, the wilderness years, the years of blessedness. All that brought you to where you are now. That's what Moses brings before them. What do we find in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, I think it can be broken into three parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 11 that talks about the experience. Moses rehearses that experience where they've been. The second part is chapters 12 through 28. I call it the revelation. It's those words that God spoke to them, the law, the commandments, the revelation that God, the expectations of the Lord. And then the last part Chapters 29 through 34 is the charge. Where are they going now? Moses charges them with how they are to live now that they're about ready to enter the land of promise. You know, first of all, in Deuteronomy, I'm struck by the attention given to the setting of this book. In those opening verses, we are told, these are the words of Moses, we hear him preach, but we're given the place where this happens. And in those first eight verses, in the first chapter, 16 different places are mentioned And um, this is not a fairy tale. There's too much detail that is given. uh, Deserts and mountains and rivers, kings and the setting and the territories, the geographical specificity. It's just set up in a very specific way. Secondly, Deuteronomy once again gives us the Ten Commandments. Second time we get the Ten Commandments in the Bible. If Alex Trebek asks you, the Ten Commandments are found in these two books of the Bible. You will answer. What are Exodus and Deuteronomy? And Alex will say, you're right. And then you'll say, the Bible for $400, please. You're just on a roll. You just keep going. (laughs) Next thing in Deuteronomy, in chapter 6, we find what is the most significant passage in all the Bible for Jews, and I think it should be equally significant for Christians. It's found in chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This passage is sometimes, often, almost always called the Shema because Shema is the Hebrew word for that first word, hear. Hear, O Israel. The Shema. Worship services in the Jewish tradition always begin with the Shema. Jews are to pray this first thing in the morning when they wake up. They are to pray it again at night before they go to bed. It goes on to say in chapter 6 that these words are to be on the people's hearts. Because you know what? Whatever's in your heart gets into you. You begin to live by it. They are to be taught to our children, it says. And talked about all the time. You know, are we teaching the love of God to our children? Jewish people will wear, uh, sometimes you see these small boxes wrapped and tied to their forehead and to their arms, and they're called phylacteries. I don't know if you can see those on these men's head and their, and their forearms. These boxes contain words of Deuteronomy 6 written on small pieces of paper contained in those boxes, sometimes other scriptures as well. And it's symbolic. They do it. To remember to keep those words of the Shema before their eyes and always on their minds. Homes, Jewish homes, homes in Israel and around the world have what are called mezuzahs. 
that are on the doorpost. As you go inside the house on the doorframe, written on the mezuzahs are those words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord. And when people go into the houses and when they leave the houses, they touch the mezuzahs to help them remember those words of Deuteronomy 6. Jewish law requires the Shema to be said at least twice a day. And just like the Lord's Prayer, you know, is known and can be said by Christians who maybe don't know anything else in the Bible or rarely come to a church. Uh, The Shema is known by Jews, whether they know other Jewish prayers or whether they come to synagogue very much. My rabbi, Ilana Schwartzman, over at Kolomi, Congregation Kolomi, told me this week that when she is called to the bedside of someone in her synagogue who maybe is dying, coming to the end of his or her life, she will more often than not say or pray these words with that person or with that person's family because they're so well known to everybody. Whenever Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 and 5 are copied or even printed, and in the Jewish Torah, it's always done by hand. The copies that they have in the synagogues have been done by scribes. Whenever they're copied, the last letter in the Jewish word for here and the last letter in the word for one are always made bigger and emphasized than all the other letters. Those two letters are ayin and dalit, the two Hebrew letters for those who are counting. But when you put ayin and dalit together, you get the Hebrew word for witness. Deuteronomy 6.4 is always written with these two letters larger than any other letters to remind people that they are to be a witness that the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, it's a statement of belief. That the Lord is our God and that he is one and he is the only one. And it's a statement of how also we live that belief. To love him with all that we are. And this belief and this love is to permeate everything we do. Eugene Peterson, he was so right when he said, no matter how right we are and what we believe about God. If love does not shape the way we speak and we act, then we falsify The creed, we falsify what we believe. Believing without loving gives religion a bad name. Believing without loving destroys lives. Believing without loving turns the best of creeds into weapons of oppression. As we continue reading Deuteronomy, we hear Moses confront Israel about that incident with the golden calf and how he had to receive new tablets from the Lord because he broke the first two in anger after seeing Israel's idolatry. And he warns them to get their hearts right with God before they go into this wonderful place that God is leading them. In Deuteronomy, we hear more again about clean and unclean foods, and we hear again about the sabbatical year and and appropriate offerings and, and the command to eat the Passover and a range of other laws like you read in Leviticus. And in Deuteronomy, we hear a series of blessings that will come to Israel if they're obedient, but then curses that will come upon them if they don't walk in the way the Lord wants. And then finally, Moses hands the baton off to Joshua, who will become the new leader of Israel and who will lead them into the land of the Canaanites. Moses gives a blessing on the 12 tribes of Israel, and then we read of Moses' death. You know, just as a coach gives a pep talk to the team before they go out into competition, or just as a parent gives that 
final talk to a son or daughter who's maybe going to be married or ready to go off into the world, or like a teacher gives those final words to a graduating class. Deuteronomy is Moses' final words to these people who he has guided, who he has lived with, who he has fought for, who he has prayed for, who he's agonized over, who he has led for 40 challenging years. And much of that generation that lived through the Exodus, they're now dead. A new generation has been born. And Moses is is impressing upon this current generation the responsibility they have to the Lord and to their children. And he speaks of the past so that they don't make the same mistakes that their ancestors did. And this is part of God's big story. It's God's big story. That's what we're learning. And God is really the main actor, not Moses. What do we learn about the Lord in Deuteronomy? Well, we learn the Lord is one. And he's our God. And we learn that he is jealous for his people. We learn that he's a God who loves and who wants to be loved. And that while he gets angry, he's also extremely patient, putting up with Israel's stubbornness and they're provoking him time and time again. I mean, he gives the tablets a second time. He continues to show mercy to them, even though they're disobedient. We learn that the Lord is not silent, but that he communicates. He speaks to his people and his expectations. God is faithful. God is forgiving. God is merciful. At one place, it speaks of God carrying us like a parent carries a child. He's a God who wants to bless and to bring good. I mean, he wants the best for his people. He's a giving God. He's, he's, he's leading them to a wonderfully fruitful place. And that's a huge theme in Deuteronomy. But this is also a relationship and love and obedience and trust are required in order to get God's best for us. Philip Yancey said that Moses brought before Israel something that perhaps they'd forgotten. That God is a person. Not in the sense that you and I are are, are a person, but God operates in love. He communicates. He listens. He feels pain. He suffers wounds. Sometimes he makes threats and he will even back down. He negotiates and he makes covenants. And while the Egyptians and all the other people around Israel lived terrified of their gods, never knowing what would please their gods, the Lord, Yahweh, details exactly what he expected of the people and how he wanted to deal with them. And at the end of the sermon, Moses charges Israel to hold fast to the Lord your God because, he says, he is your life. Well, where are we in this part of the story? Well, we're also a people of covenant in relationship with God. We're also a people who have been in the wilderness at times. We're a people who are headed on a journey of faith. We are a people headed for what we might call our promised land, God's kingdom. That Jason was talking about earlier, that place of love and peace and joy that we'll know eternally. But here is what I see as the big theme in Deuteronomy. Just just one big theme where our story interacts with God's story. One of the most important truths in Deuteronomy is obedience to God. The word obey appears some 25 times in the book. And one of the things that Moses 
preaches again and again is to love the Lord, just like in the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And obedience and loving God go hand in hand. In fact, they're the same thing. Parents, parents. I mean, do, do we feel love and respect from our children when they disobey us? Our love and our hope for them doesn't change when they go against our desires. But, you know, when, when our relationship is affected when a child goes wayward or goes against our desires. Again and again, we hear Moses say, do, observe, follow, walk in the ways of the Lord. Because obedience is just plain vital for a living, thriving, healthy relationship with God. Yes, we are people of the new covenant. Yes, we aren't made right by the law. We are made right by grace. But grace doesn't free us from obedience. Grace makes us want to respond in gratefulness to what God wants because of what he's done for us through Jesus Christ. There's plenty of obedience in the New Testament. Albert Edward Day once said this, Every obedience, however small, if any obedience is ever small, quickens our sensitivity to God. And our capacity to understand him. And so makes more real our sense of his presence. Obedience is just essential to a strong Christian walk. And obedience is best expressed in love. The call to love God comes through Moses preaching. Not just believe in God. Not just admire God. Not just think about God. But he says love God. God shows love to those who love me and keep my commandments. Chapter five. Know therefore the Lord your God is God and he's the faithful God keeping covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice here the link between love and keeping commandments. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But fear the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands. Love the Lord your God and keep his commandments, his decrees, his laws and his commands always. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then it says the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul and live. Where does that happen in the heart? Because our relationship with God is a matter of the heart. There are 30 different references in Deuteronomy to the heart. And the Lord says he will circumcise your heart. Maybe that sounds a little strange to us. We know that circumcision was the sign God gave Abraham. Of the covenant that in the Jewish law, every male boy born in Israel had to receive this mark as a symbol of their identity, as a symbol of their belonging to the Lord. But circumcision of the heart. And it says that the Lord is the one who will do that. And it's because God is encountered in the heart. We can do all the external things we want to. We can go to church. We can be baptized. We can hold office in the church. We can can read through the Bible in a year. But... Unless our heart belongs to God, it doesn't matter. 
When your heart is into something, you know, it's a whole lot easier to do. It's a whole lot easier to, to be invested. You know, if your heart is into music, then playing that instrument is going to come a lot easier to you. If your heart is into the outdoors, then hiking and skiing and biking, it's going to be no problem. You're going to be able to do it. If our heart is into our children or our grandchildren, it's not going to be a problem to be with them or to be a part of their lives. Well, you know what? When our hearts are into God and belong to him, what he wants is going to come much easier to us. And God knew that doing the law through willpower was not going to hold. And he knew that for his people to live the life that he wanted them to live would require something more. And that is why he began to speak of a new covenant to come. And we will encounter that new covenant when we get to the book of the prophet Jeremiah. But in the new covenant, God says he will put his law in people's minds and he says, I'm going to write it on their hearts. Because faith is a matter of the heart and hearing and understanding and doing God's word is a matter of the heart and loving God is a matter of the heart. Here's the question I think Deuteronomy begs of us. Do we love God? Do you love God? Well, I come to church sometimes. Ah! Do you love God? Well, I believe in a, in a higher power. Ah! Do you love God? I help with communion. No! Ah! Do you love God? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I think that's Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy in a line. Do you love God? And what is that one place in your life right now, however small, however great, where you believe God is asking you to be obedient right now? And it may be his test of your love for him. When someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of them all? What is the one thing, if we could do it for God, that he would want more than anything? What does God want beyond anything else from us? Jesus said this. He quoted Deuteronomy and he said, it's this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. We believe that the new covenant where God will put his law into our hearts has been fulfilled and has come in Jesus Christ. And it's this table that is the table of the new covenant. At this table, God gives us tangible 